in the encouragement series. So the encouragement series is basically our series on the book of First Peter. And Peter's the guy that uh, almost drowned in the water after he walked on water. Peter's the guy that cut a dude's ear off because they were trying to arrest his best friend Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to take him in uh, to persecute him. Peter's also the guy that said he would um, uh, never betray uh, Jesus and he denied him three times. So uh, Peter's one of those friends like he's your best friend one week and then the next week he's not because he does crazy things and you're like, why are we friends? Uh, but that just shows the power of, of God's grace. And we want to give you courage through encouragement, which is what First Peter's all about, um, to be able to live boldly like Jesus Christ. We have to continue to turn that dial up, not just in age and years, but, but in intensity and passion for how we live in all the places because uh, the world's certainly not turning down its dial. Um, it is, is raising the temperature. It is making it harder uh, at times for us to live and serve and to follow uh, Jesus Christ. So let's pray before we launch in any further into this. Um, God, we love you and we thank you for the truth of your word. We know that it gives us um, great guidance and direction to life. It fills us with um, God's sovereign plan so that we might be able to live that. It helps us sort of navigate the rough waters or where there may be rough waters that we might make the right wise biblical decision in that direction. Um, God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I grew up not far from Cincinnati, Ohio. And there are, there are just some things that are better, but there are some things that are best. So in Cincinnati, there's this ongoing debate between what's the best Coney dog. Now you guys know what Coney dogs are, right? Um, they're small buns, they're smaller dogs. You put chili on top and then like a gallon, uh, it's not a gallon because it's not a liquid, um, 18 pounds of cheese on top. And in the Queen City, which is what we call Cincinnati, there are two places. There's Skyline Chili and there's Gold Star Chili. And they are in an endless civil war. Here in the South, we know what that's about. Just they're always going at it. What's better? Gold Star Chili. I don't know. It's, it's a little bit um, sweeter. No, um, Skyline Chili is better because it's, it's a little bit more salty. So whenever you go, there's always this debate. Whenever I go see my family, I just watch my years play out before me. And they're like, hey, where you guys want to go eat? And i like, let's go get some Coney dogs. That's how I say it. And then they just, Argh. I only like this kind. And I only like that kind. And then we need to do that. So, and it's because there are some things that are, that are good and better, but there are some things that are best. You guys know, that's why you choose the toothpaste you choose. This is the best toothpaste for me. And you won't use anybody else's, right? Who's got the best toothbrush in the house? Yours is the best toothbrush in the house. Not somebody else's. Certainly. Certainly not when my kids are like, let's go dig in the yard with dad's toothbrush. That's no longer good. So we know that there are some things in life that are better, but there are some things, and they're rare, but they are the very best. They are those things in which help us to know that they're unique, that they're precious, and they should take priority over anything else, right? So we do those things. We pursue those things. We put best on those. We give awards out. We grade those things. We have all kinds that take place. So let me show you this one thing. It's going to help us to kind of understand what's best in there, and it's going to come right out of Scripture. So live in the Spirit the way God does. This is going to be straight out of our text, this one thing is. Live in the Spirit the way God God does. Now that's going to make a little bit more sense for this one thing to live in the spirit the way God does, which is it's a tall order, right? To do things as God would have us do, to respond at my workplace, to my neighbors, to relationships, to frenemies in such a way that God would respond that way. 
uh, right? The sort of what would Jesus do uh, movement that culturally slept, swept through our world. So the one thing is live in the spirit the way God does. And that, that's the goal for us to understand. Like how, how do we do that at work? How do we do that in worship? How do we do that where we live? Which is kind of where we recharge ourselves. Now let me give you context. Let's put it into life. Here's why. Um, the time is now for holiness, not quote, how about I do only what I want or what I think is best? Or maybe you hear it this way, um, this is my truth. Have you ever heard that? Like you live your truth, I'm going to live my truth, let me do me and you do you. Nope. It is time for holiness. And holiness can only happen when it's, first of all, through salvation because you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you shall be saved. So you have to start at salvation first. Then holiness comes because Jesus Christ sort of imputes that, uh, gives that to us so that we might be able to live as he does. So holiness is doing holy things. Holiness is, is having a biblical response to life. That's holiness. What you think, biblical. What you say, biblical. What you do, biblical. And now is the time for holiness. Our world is not brimming over the top with holiness, biblically speaking. In fact, it's the other way. And it's crazy. that you, you know you're starting to get old when you're like, man, back in my day, that wasn't a problem, right? Like, we didn't struggle with that. But now we do, right? I talked to some of these old timers. I don't even know how they're alive, right? We used to leave our doors unlocked and open. And people could just come in and out. And I'm like, what? Even in Surf City, that's kind of crazy. But the world just continues to move to this entropy of moralism. So what we see here is the time is now from the time. What do I think? And, and let's just, we'll look at the scriptures. It's going to help us understand that. So we're going to read verses 3 and 4. Talk about it. Then verses 5 and 6. So here we go. This is Peter just talking to Christians. Anyone everywhere who would read this. Uh, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, those things, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So let's just take a look at these passages, verses 3 and verses 4. And as, first of all, right in there in verse 3, right at the very beginning, what does it say? Um, that for the time is past, it suffices. Here's what my dad would always say. Nathan, you are too old to be doing that, right? There are no excuses. You're too old for that. You should know better. You ever heard that? You still hear it in your nightmares from your parents. You should know better. You're right, I should. Which really means you should do better. But in this context, it says, look, that stuff we've got to leave behind. Now look, we know Peter's writing to Christians in the first century. We know that he's writing to those who already believe. But who else is sitting in the room when they're reading those letters? Non-Christian people. And he's saying like, look, you've got to leave the Gentile life behind. And in the first century in the New Testament world, there were the Jews and Gentiles. Those, those were kind of the two main people from the Jewish perspective. Either born Jewish or you're not, and everybody else is Gentile. So unless you're a Jew here today, you're a Gentile, biblically speaking. So God's looking at this, Peter's looking at this, and he goes, look, the past is in the past for all those things. All those wilding out years, all those things that took place, those, those should be in the past. That, that's enough of that, like the Gentiles want to do. 
But then it goes on in verse 4 and gives us, as it says, look, we've got to leave the unbiblical responses in the past and don't revive them in the present. Because that's what they do. They want to keep showing up like some bad high school reunion. Right? Whenever you go back to a high school reunion or you run into someone you worked with like 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago and you haven't seen them since then, you always, it's called reminiscing, right? But you go back into those roles. It's so crazy. I like went to one high school reunion. It's like five years after I graduated. I was like, I am not ever doing this again. It's crazy. First of all, I got tired of hearing people going, I can't believe you're a pastor. How did that happen? And then you have to explain it. And when you explain it, you have to really, like, what about that time in the 10th grade? Remember in 7th grade when you did that? We never saw those kindergarten little chickens you took home. What happened to those? You know, people just asking stuff all the time. And he's like, look, put that in the past. And there will always be people in, in your life, throughout your life, that are going to try to revive that stuff. To interject it back into your life. To peer pressure you into that. And, and the scripture says it's so nice how Peter says it, that they, they'll malign you, but that's, that's just discrediting you. That's making fun of you. That's peer pressure. Wouldn't we all, don't we all wish the peer pressure ended in like junior high and high school and then once we graduated it was done, but it doesn't. There's adult peer pressure. There's contextual peer pressure. Advertising is actually peer pressure, right? Like your life's not complete without this loaf of bread. And if you don't have this bread in your cabinets, your life is ruined. So they give you discontentment. That's what they do. And they, and they say it out there. And he's like, look, I already know this. In fact, that was the major swing, right? The first thing they would do in a Roman Empire when they came to you um, to denounce Jesus Christ is they would just, first of all, they'd just try to win you over with trinkets. So they'd be like, look, you denounce Jesus you live for Caesar. We're going to give you your home back. We're going to give you all this stuff. Some people they paid off because they were major influencers. And like, if you, if you just do this, then we'll give you all these nice things. So when that didn't happen, then it would run over to, to this mentality. And they would start maligning you. Like, we're going to make life so hard for you. You can't shop anymore. We're going to kill you and your family. We're going to take everything that you have. Like you can just read it and you don't even have to read biblical history. You can read it in just human history, how they did that um, to the Jews and the Christians. They just take everything and they start maligning you and they go, well, some people are people pleasers and some people just want, and this is the way that they get. They try to get you to swing over and go, you know what? I'm not living for Jesus. But I'll tell you this, criticism actually is a really good thing. Just think about how do you have assurance to know that you actually love Jesus when you're around a whole bunch of people who don't love Jesus? Well, from their perspective, they're going to criticize you and that's actually evidence and proof that you love Jesus. So when someone finds you online or on social media and they're making fun of you or mistreating you or saying that you shouldn't believe this or that's hate this or not loving enough that, then you're getting confirmation, yeah, in a negative way, that you actually love and serve Jesus. That you are in such a place that they recognize that there's something different about you. And in fact, they're in tension with the maligning part of verse 4. So when people criticize you from looking at that, in my mind, I'm like, that's a good thing because I'm doing God's will. The devil doesn't criticize himself. Evil forces don't fight within. When, when they called Jesus the prince of devils and demons, what did he say? There's no way. Because... The devil isn't going to cast out demons from other people because that's just dividing his house. And when you divide your house, it doesn't stand. So when they come at you and they're like, look, you love Jesus and you're in this workplace and we're passing you over for promotion and we're not going to include you in the neighborhood discussions and blah, blah, because you love Jesus. Man, that is um, music to God's ears. 
That is credibility for him. Because you know what Jesus is saying in his right hand? They're standing for you again. It's Tuesday. They're not even at church. And they're standing for you in the neighborhood. They're in the boardroom having a meeting. And they're having everybody pray. Or they're at lunch with their other co-workers. They're like, hey, can we just stop and pray for the food? I mean, they're, just, they're doing all kinds of things for you, God. And Jesus is just constantly interceding for that. Constantly telling people what that's about. They're doing their relationships to honor you. So based on, on these two scriptures, verses 3 and 4, how can we know our faith and deeds are Christ-like? This is cool. How can we know our faith and deeds are Christ-like? Because we see all this, this really just darkness that is in people's lives and it's trying to overtake us. But how can we know our faith and deeds are Christ-like? Um, when we don't join in or give in to sin no matter what other people say. Because that's, that's the, the only, temptation, or what I should say, sin only ever comes from temptation. It never jumps that part. You know that, right? Like sin isn't ever just like you wake up and duh! There's always this growing, this slow fade, this, this grow, uh, 80s and 90s, this sort of sliding backwards. But it always, sin always, 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 always starts with temptation. And that's where the battle's won. Now we know Jesus has the keys of what? Sin and death. So what do we not have to worry about? Should we follow him? Sin and death. We just talked last week about how you can sin less and less. And the consequences of those can be less and less. That was last week's message. So this message is like, look, they're going to come after you and they're going to come at you. Do not give in to that. But instead, live strongly in the way in which you should go. So you don't give it no matter what other people say, right? And they'll, they'll do it. They'll say all kinds of stuff. They'll push your buttons. They'll make it easy for you. It'll look sweet and wonderful for you to let that temptation grow and turn and mature into sin. But the Bible says don't do it. Let, let that be in the past. It even says in, in verse 4, I would underline that. I don't know if you're a highlighter or if you're on your smartphone, however you do that. It says you do not join them. I just, that phrase just sticks out to me so much. You do not join them. And what I love about that is because you're there with them. That's what's so cool, right? Like you're in the midst of, of, of loving them and, and sharing Jesus you probably don't work in a, a you know, a, a Christian environment all, all the time. Maybe you do. God's bless you. Cool. But um, you, you're there still with them. And there's this battle and struggle. Do I draw them closer to Jesus or do they draw me farther away from him? That's always the tension. And I love that he's speaking to Christians and he doesn't say what? Run away. Get away from them. Because what does Paul say? Paul says, if I told you to stay away from people who don't love Jesus, literally loose translation, you'd have to leave the planet. Uh, Paul was saying there's nowhere you could go. Think about it. You couldn't. You couldn't even go to church, hopefully, because there's non-Christian people there. So I, I love that he's like, look, you're, all, you're in the midst. I'm not asking you to move away, to start some sort of fortress commune of Christianity where it's all kumbayaing fireplaces and we're just going to do Jesus. But instead, you're out into the world doing things. Let's look at verse 5. You look at verse 5. So he's like, man, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But Peter is always turning people to the eternal. Like, look at things through God's eyes. So verse 5 and 6. But they, being those who try to malign you and sway you into sin, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Him being Jesus. Verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead. That though, um, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might, here comes the one thing, live in the spirit the way God does. Man, there's so much good stuff here. There's just so much, so much hope in this, right? 
How are you going to answer the debate of who has the best Coney dogs between Skyline Chili and Gold Star Chili? How are you going to do that? You're going to have to eat one. I'm going to have to eat two just to be sure of each. Right? That's what you do. So notice what's happening here in verses 5 and 6. He's like, what's your role when you come into that? What do you do when you experience these kind of things? So it says, look, first of all, verse 5, major urgency here. Major urgency. They will, all those will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So Peter's always just like, look, there's a bigger picture here, right? Um, We're all just renting. Does that make sense? We're all just renters on this planet. Stewards. We're just watching over this stuff. It's eventually going to be gone, uh, whether the Lord calls us home or he comes back. So we know from verse 5 that one day we're all going to go before Jesus. We've, we've had that message, we've talked about that. So what we know is everyone spends forever somewhere. So the guy that just gets it on your nerves at work, the spouse you just pray for and wonder why God did you do this. All those things, your kids, your parents, you just look at that and go, what do I need to remember? They were all going to stand before God solo and just go, alright, here's an account for how that I live. He's going to judge the living, spiritually living, and the dead, the spiritually dead. We're all going to get that. We're all going to get that. And then he goes to that verse 6, right? And he gives the answer for what the response is in the midst of all of these sort of sensual things. He says, first of all, the gospel was preached, Right? We all, we all have this problem in the world, the problem of sin. C.S. Lewis wrote a great book on it. You should read it. The problem of sin. And in this problem of sin, we know that um, it's holding us back, it's destroying us, and it's keeping God's best from us. That's what sin does. Is it just stops the good things that take place. Just think about how when you were growing up in your home and your parents or whoever raised you had guidelines and standards that you would get um, grounded for or in trouble for, or extra chores you would have to do, um, things that you might say or do in life. And God's like, look, these things exist here too. These things take place in the midst of sin. It's destroying us. It's holding us back from what God's best is. So he comes to us and says, look, we've got to preach the gospel. We've got to preach the gospel. What I love about that word preach is it's just sort of proclaim, right? Your, your body language. That's really what the Greek word's about. It's just all that you are. Not just the words you say. You guys know the stat. 80% of our communication is what? Body language. It's how you can look across the restaurant and know if that couple's having a really good meal or not. You can see that finger flying. The dude's like, I'm sorry, I don't know why I did it. You know? And you don't have to hear a word. You can just tell. I see it all the time at the grocery store. I'm like, when that kid gets home, they're dead. And I don't have to hear a thing. I can just tell their life's over. And you just look at people and you can just know. So he's like, look, we have to go and we have to preach the gospel. So the gospel's good news. What's the good news of the gospel? At its foundation is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And then he then rose again on the third day by the power of God to show us that he's the one that can give us that salvation. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. That's the good news. Be like, hey guys, look, I I know you think you're having fun in the midst of this sin and this stuff, but look, there's a day that's coming that it's not going to be fun and games. There's a day that's coming that we do that. And I love that he says, that's why we preach to even those who are dead. Because who needs resurrection and redemption the most? Dead people. That's who needs it. When I was in the eighth grade, 
I needed that message of redemption and the gospel shared with me. I needed to know that God was love. I needed to know that I was full of sin. I needed to know that I needed that forgiveness. And I had to to have someone tell me. Because I thought I was a rock star, man. God's gift to girls and the world. So I was just like, yeah. And the people were like, no, (laughs) you're not. Here's what's going on. I was like, wow, you're right. And just the illumination of the Holy Spirit showed that to me. So this passage of scripture says that like you've got to take the gospel specifically, not only, but specifically to those who are dead. Because they're going to be judged in the flesh the way people are. We're going to look around and make um, assertions about people. But the goal is what? The very end. The goal is the one thing. That they might uh, live in the spirit the way that God does. And there's so many layers to that. I could talk about eternity and heaven and living with God in eternity. We can talk about how this scripture talks about in life, right? Dead men walking. That they just, if they're stuck in these things outside of salvation, it's just, it's unfulfilling. It's unfulfilling. And you know that. You've you've had those things in your life like, wow, this is going to be the deal and we're going to plan and we're going to plan and we're going to go and we're going to run and then it just doesn't fulfill. And you've had other things that fulfilled for a moment, but then they wane. These trends of life. So God's like, look, take the gospel to other people and here's the goal so that they might live the way that God does so that they might pursue after that. So what are a couple key aspects of a Christian who's living in the spirit the way God does? I mean, and this is a massive question. There are many college levels, doctors, all this, you know, what do we do? How can we know? That's why I always put a couple key aspects of a Christian who's living in the spirit the way God does. Because it's a really good question. Like, am I approaching life the way Jesus did in scriptures? And not just in the gospels, but in everything. The people that I date, the people that I don't date, the people that I marry, the people that I don't marry. You know, the jobs that I take, where I'm, places that I move to. You know, what's God going to do? You know, a lot of people in scriptures didn't move till God told them to spiritually speaking you know occupationally speaking geographically speaking you know in my mind well not in my mind but I think biblically speaking that's the only time you should go is when God tells you to because then you know without a shadow of a doubt you're doing the right thing and you're following after him no matter what others may say so here's a couple key aspects, just based on scriptures 5 and 6. First of all, you share the good news of Jesus with others and you help them to respond to life biblically. So that's what we see in verses 5 and 6. He's like, share the good news. How else are they going to know? The Bible says, unless you tell them, right? Look, let me just tell you, Skyline Chili is the best. Their hot dogs are the best. They're so good that I can buy the frozen versions of their two ways at Harris Teeter. And I usually buy like three at once and just eat because they're good. So I just, I tell you why. So you can find the way. I let you know how to get. Yeah, and you guys know this. We tell each other all the time. Oh man, here's a good one. Um, uh, so before Memorial Day, right? Here, this was the, the, like the number one sort of trending conversation that took place um, the week before Memorial Day. Uh, get your groceries before Friday. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Get your groceries before Friday because you will hate your life and pray Jesus snatches you up out of your soul because if you're in the grocery stores on uh, Saturday, you're going to hate your life. So my sound guy says amen because he told me he did that. And I heard that conversation all week long. They're coming. Here, here they are. And if you're one of they, we love you. We're glad you're here. But just as an inside family look about what happens when you show up. We freak out and we buy stuff before you do. 
So if it's not there, it's because it's at my house. So you guys know what it is to tell others, like, look, this is the way. You better get your stuff now because 40,000 people are showing up this week. It's going to be insane. And God's saying, look, this is a mark of, of people who are living the Christian life. They're sharing the good news in every medium and platform that they have. That kind of makes me wish that, that like Paul and Peter were alive now. Could you imagine what those dudes would have done with social media and like YouTube? They probably would have got kicked off, let's be honest. But still, they would have done enough to get kicked off, I guess. But they'd have just been out there. Imagine what they'd have done with email. Who emailed you today, Paul? Oh, shoot. That's crazy. In fact, they did it. They wrote letters all the time. I mean, they wrote hundreds and hundreds of copies of the Bible to get that out to send to people. So I would encourage you with this. Respond to life biblically. And the more you study your Bible, the more you'll know how to respond that way. With your time, talents, and treasures. What does God want me to do? And you're like, well, what about specifics? Man, the Bible covers that. They'll give you these biblical truths. There's nothing that you will face in this life that the Bible will not guide you through. Holy Spirit will not show you and help you to discern. All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is ask. So based on this message, um, what can you do, we do, to bring God glory and make disciples? Because that's why we exist. You exist to bring God glory after you're saved. You exist to make disciples. In between that is salvation. That's Jesus' domain. That's what he does. You just push people up to there and go, here you go, here's Jesus. And then just let him deal with them and him handle them and him work in their lives and him transform them. But in between that, after that, we're making disciples and, and, and we're bringing God glory. And bringing God glory in this context means that he gets praise and credit for the things he deserves praise and credit for. That's what bringing God glory is. right? It's an, it's an ancient term. It's an old language word. Where they're like, oh man, the, the glory that you get from this victory. The glory you get from this achievement. The glory you get from this good thing that you've done. That's exactly, that's exactly what we're talking about here. It's the Roman Empire in Jesus' day. They started the Olympics. You guys know that, right? And they put those diadems on them, those wreathed crowns. And you would get glory for being the fastest runner or the strongest whatever. And you would get the praise and the credit. So when we talk about these things here, about bringing God glory and making disciples, we're going to talk about what we can do together and individually to bring Him glory and make disciples. So let's just talk about your worship. Let's just talk about your worship, which is not only here when we're together, but your worship is every day. When you're with God, when you're living, right? Uh, was that Romans 8? Off your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. So you're just... 24-7 worshiping, which is crazy. Because what if God tunes in like Friday night and let's just see how their worship's going. Ooh, you know? So here's what I'd say, based on this scripture. Leave it, don't pick it up. It's kind of a, a prayer phrasing and thing that we teach people. Pray to God for the strength to leave what is against his will well enough alone. Leave it in the past, based on verse 3. Uh, there's a, a saying in the South that we say, um, let sleeping dogs lie. You ever poked a sleeping dog in the tail when it's when sleeping? You ever done that? Yeah. You're not going to do that again. You're not going to do that. Uh, in the north, they kind of say you don't wake sleeping babies, right? You guys know that. If any of you have ever been around someone that's got a little baby, you're like walking on clouds with marshmallow shoes. And then if someone wakes that baby up, it's like they've done the worst thing in the world. You know, my, my uh, grandparents would unhook the telephone from the wall. I was like, but... Mama, what if, you know, what if Papa was 
dying while you're watching this with your baby. She's like, I don't care. We ain't waking the babies up. Right? We let sleeping dogs lie. We don't bring that back. We don't put in place uh, temptation. So I say when God gives you victory over something, just leave it and don't pick it back up. Just leave it with him at the throne and go, you know what? It's your victory. It's your strength. I'm just going to do that. Right? Just leave it with him. And, and pray to God to help you um, to do that. Because it's real easy to get back into those systems. Right? Uh, to go back into those mindsets. When you're out in community, here's the thing you can do. So when you're with others in community, um, replace giving in to peer pressure with pleasing God. No matter what they say, it's God's way all day. No matter what someone says, it's God's way all day. So what do I do when I have peer pressure? I just answer the question, what's going to please God more? And sometimes that'll be pleasing to the people you're around. Other times it's not. But it's the answer to those who are going to malign you and try to sway you away from Jesus. You just go, no, I'm just going to do what pleases God. I'm going to interject that into the moment. So that's when you're in community, that's what I encourage more and more to not live by peer pleasure, but instead to, to help pull people along, to show them the way, to light their path by just doing what pleases God and just answer that question, right? Is this going to please God? Here's a great way to serve others. Prepare others for forever. Prepare others for forever. Help others to be ready to stand before God. We all know it's going to happen. I mean, it's in the Bible. We can read it. So we need to prepare people for that moment. We've got to get them ready. So we talk about salvation and we, we help them to know what it is to be saved and how they're saved by grace through faith. But then we also encourage um, others to go, hey, look, Christians, you're going to stand before the Lord. Because not only is there salvation, but the Bible talks about this inheritance and reward that waits, these crowns in life as an example that we're all just going to put at the feet of Jesus. And you're not going to be able to snag from somebody else's pile and push it up there. And go, ooh, they've got a nice crown. I'm going to take that. No way. That ain't happening. So that means we've got to help people to prepare forever. This is just a, a moment. This is the um, permitted, uh, have to drive with an adult driver's ed class for eternity. So right now we get supervision. But eventually, once we die and go into eternity, then you're where you're going to be. You're heading to hell or you're going to heaven. And we need to help prepare people for that and let them know it's coming. Because that's the most loving thing, right? The guy that doesn't throw the life preserver over to the dude who's about to fall over Niagara Falls, unloving. But it's going to be awkward if I say something. Hey man, you're going to fall over the falls. Hey man, you're going to drown. Hey man, you're going to... No, you do what you can to prepare them. To help them to know what's safe and good and just. So that's one of the things we do. Just prepare others forever. Talk to them about it. Let them know. It happens. You can do it. Oh, multiplication. Here's the other thing too. Um, because we, we, multiplication is just better. Right? Multiplication is a great way for us to do that. Jesus sends them out two by two. Then he sends the 70 out two by two. I mean, he just, he's sending them out to go. So this is where we seek to live the gospel-centered life, right? Gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, and gospel-centered multiplication. We, we bring God glory and make disciples where you work, worship, live, and recharge. You should, you should always have time in, in your day or in your life where you're just asking God, like, how do I, how do, I do this better? 
How do I just be a better disciple in these moments? Whatever the, the context is. It could be as, as small as little as something mundane as, as mowing the grass to something huge as deciding the, the, the direction of your family or your household. So it says come into God and go, look, let's live that gospel centeredness so that when people come along, they'll, they'll see the good news and they'll know the good news and they'll be able to pursue that way. Why? Because Peter tells us in these verses, there's a whole lot of people trying to sway us a whole lot of ways from God. So we take these moments and we take this scripture and do this. So let's look at the one thing one last time. Live in the spirit the way that God does. We had talked really the past couple weeks because Peter's so huge on this. There are, um, and just you could go back and read this on your own. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11. What does it tell us? It tells us that your flesh is at war with your spirit. You all the time are battling against yourself. You're all the time trying to go at it. Uh, when I was growing up in, in the cartoon world when I was little, they would always do that with an angel on your shoulder and, and a little devil. You guys remember that? Right? But it was you, but it was like bad you and good you. And you were in your ears like, dude, do this. And like, don't do that. Your dad's going to kill you. Do this. It'll be great. So the Bible knows that our flesh is always warring against our spirit, which I think is really interesting because you're waging against yourself. So what does that tell me? That tells me if you're not a Christian, there's no hope for you to win that battle, right? We talked last week. You cannot overcome temptation by sheer willpower. And I know that's hard for the American mindset because we really are like, if we just bootstrap this and do it, we can win. But when it comes to sin, the only way you're going to have victory is through Jesus Christ. So you have to live in the spirit. What does live in the spirit mean? You don't live in the flesh. It's not self-gratification. It's God glorification. That's the deal. And you just do your best. And look, here, there's grace, right? You guys live probably in the, other than when Jesus walked the earth. No, actually, this probably is the best. Yeah, yeah, This is probably the best time in creation to live. And then this age of grace where Jesus has lived and he's died. The Holy Spirit gets in filling us. The Bible actually talks about how the prophets of old yearned for the days that you live in. That they would live in a day after the Messiah had come. That they would live in a day when the Holy Spirit can dwell in every single person. Should they just receive that great good gift. So my challenge and encouragement to you is live in the Spirit um, the way God does. So here's